In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of The Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field and then I, uh, I look over at my dad and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Hey, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. There's Salt Lamakia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. Who was an all-star last year. There's a swing and a drive. Doogie hopped all over it. And she is gone. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And the Sox lead at 5-4. A lot going on here before the all-star break. A lot going on, including momentous home runs. This one by Alex Verdugo. Basically won the game for the Red Sox. A day after Verdugo throws out Bo Bichette at the plate to win the game there. Yet all these things for Verdugo did not get him initially on the all-star team. But, you know, there's still some time. There's still injury replacements. All-star team announced. We're going to get to that, I think, on a separate podcast, either today or tomorrow, um, because it deserves to be picked apart. And baseball isn't boring. At the All-Star Game, look out for us. T-shirts, all the rest of us, books, a damn near perfect game. At BB isn't boring to get all the info to keep up on all the information when it comes to what we're doing and where we're going and all of that and obviously all the podcasts, and we just appreciate FanDuel so much. I went on uh, one of the outlets that have our podcast and saw the rating for it. It's so good, man. I, I just appreciate everybody who's rated the podcast. We're cracking them out. We're doing them every single day, sometimes multiple times a day, most of the times multiple times a day. And it's not that difficult because, you know what, it's easy to talk about baseball. Today's no different. It's easy to talk about baseball. And the person that I wanted to talk about baseball with is the guy that we are announcing as team president for the New York Mets. Steve Cohen, owner Steve Cohen, had made it clear, very clear at his press conference, he wanted to announce a team president. Well, we found the perfect one. WFAN's Evan Roberts, also of the Rico Bronia podcast. The guy who is part of the Odyssey family, our Odyssey family. The guy who is so passionate about the Mets is crazy. That is the guy we are setting up to the podium and proudly announcing as the baseball isn't boring's team president for the New York Mets. Producer Evan has signed off on him. Producer Evan, obviously a big Mets guy. He signed off on it. And that's why Evan joined us on the podcast to not only accept the honor that we're bestowing him, but also to give us his plan of how to fix the Mets. Mets, by the way, I don't know if they were spurred on by the announcement. Two in a row, two wins in a row, still eight back in the wild card. lot to get done. I like Evan's plans. I like when we interviewed him, we were blown away. And here he is. Now we're giving him carte blanche, or Steve Cohen is anyway. And he's going to fix the Mets. And this is the podcast where it all starts. All right, here you go. Evan Roberts. 
All right, there's nobody I'd rather have on right now in this time of time of need for Mets fans than Evan Roberts, WFAN. The the straw that stirs a drinks when it comes to all Mets conversation. Evan, what's going on? How are you? Thank you. It's such a <laughs> terrible time as a Mets fan right now. <laughs> it's all good. Well, so let's cut right to it. And at the end, I am going to ask you why baseball isn't boring because, uh, you know, I feel like you actually believe it. Um, although it's a struggle sometimes for all of us, uh, but still, I it, for Mets fans, that's a hard question to answer. So I'm going to give you the entire podcast to think about it. But, <laughs> but, but first, Evan, um, we we at the uh, at the studios here at the company at the tower, the baseballs and boring tower, um, have figured there's only one person. When we heard the Steve Cohen press conference the other day, which Man, what a gift for you guys. You're welcome. <laughs> Holy mackerel. Uh, so when we heard that, and he, he basically was saying that, you know, he needs to fi- hire a president of baseball operations. I, we we here said there's only one person to do it, and that is you. Um, so let me, the contract is, is being drawn up. So it's a handshake deal, uh, assuming you'll take it. But we want to make you the president of baseball operations for the match. Will you take that? I'll take it, but I do have to warn you, if I was the president, let's say six months ago, I would have given Jacob DeGrom whatever he wanted. <laughs> so that probably wouldn't have worked out, in fairness. But, you know, we all hit on some and we all miss on some, uh, true, even, true. even even the best, either the best of the best. But at the same time, there's a reason why Steve Cohen wants this person over Billy Epler for now, over Buckshaw Walter for now, um, because they want someone who, number one, I would imagine has the passion, has the, has the drive, and also has the smarts, and you have both of them. So, um so first of all, so you will you you will accept this position. I will humbly accept this uh, great responsibility. It is a big responsibility. Um, all right, let's go. Let's do it then. We've we've uh, this considered the press conference done. This we've already had enough press conferences. This is time to get down to brass tacks. It's time to do what's what when it comes to fixing these Mets. Let's go, Evan. Let's the go. First thing I'm doing, the press conference hasn't even ended yet. <laughs> and breaking news, there's a, a Jeff Passan tweet that has confirmed that the New York Mets have agreed on a 10-year contract extension with Pete Alonso. So oh, right off the top. Oh, really? I'm messing around. I'm proving to my fans we are committed long term with the guys that we built. And so Pete's staying here forever. Now, that doesn't help the Mets in the immediate time, considering Pete is hitting about 219. (laughs) But we want to show the fans we are committed. I mean, they already know we're committed. We're nuts. We're spending a ton of money. But number one, I'm locking up Pete Alonso. As far as the deadline's concerned, I'm trading Tommy Pham within, I think, 72 hours of getting the job. Not because I dislike Tommy Pham. Tommy's been amazing. Like, he doesn't even make outs anymore. But I look at him as someone who will actually have value. He doesn't make a lot of money. It's a one-year deal. There are plenty of teams, including my neighbors in the Bronx, who would probably want Tommy Pham. And what am I looking for in return? I said this to a Yankee fan friend of mine the other day. I said, you pick the young reliever you want to send my way, and I'll make the trade. Because that young reliever will automatically become my second best reliever upon being acquired. So I'm going to try to replenish my bullpen a little bit by trading Tommy Pham. Um I can't convince myself that the Mets are getting back into this race. I can't as much as I would love to, Uh, and as much as I would love to be entertained the final few months of the year. So the next guy I'm going to deal 
is David Robertson. And that's painful because he's been great. Mm. He's been fantastic, despite what happened on Friday night. And I think the return on him could be pretty good. As far as what else I'm selling, I'm going to make this very clear to anyone who's interested. Money is no object. My man Steve Cohen gave me a blank check. He did. So I'll pay off all of Verlander and Scherzer's contract, but I ain't giving him away. If I'm not getting a top-of-the-line pitching prospect, I'll see you later. And here's the reason why. I'm retooling. I'm not rebuilding. So next year, I plan on competing. And if I can't get something of great value, what the heck is the point of me paying off Scherzer or Verlander's contract? Like, I may as well keep them and hope that next year they at least have solid seasons or bounce mm-hmm. back or what have you. Yeah, because so, you want to you win. I mean, this isn't a... This isn't an Orioles situation. This isn't a Cincinnati Reds situation. Evan Roberts, president of baseball operations for Mets, you're in the press conference. You say, hey, listen, we're winning next year. No doubt. And that's why the guys I'm dealing off the top are guys that are free agents. So if I really want them, I could, I guess, re-sign them in a year or two. But the Scherzer-Verlander thing, it's very – and I'm not telling you that I'm going to get that prospect because I don't really know. I don't know what – the Diamondbacks are going to be willing to give me to bring back Max Scherzer and go full circle. I don't know what the Orioles are willing to give me or the Reds or teams that feel like, oh boy, we had a Max Scherzer, we got a chance. But I want to make that clear to my fans. I'll sell them and I'll use money as a weapon, mm-hmm. but I am not doing it just to rid myself of them, despite them being mercenaries. We like had a they great- are. Go ahead. Go ahead. They're getting me back value. If not, they ain't going anywhere. We had a great, we've had a couple, we love doing our fake trades and we had a great who says no the other day. I thought, which involves Scherzer and which I'm anxious to get your take on it as president of the Mets now. Um, so it was Scherzer. Obviously you, you use money as a weapon. Very well put. Uh, Mark Canna for Brandon Fock, the Arizona Diamondbacks, probably their best starting pitching prospect. There you go. Do it. Well, first of all, I'm going to have to evaluate with my uh, my scouts who know farm systems around baseball better than I do. Yeah. And if they give me the approval, okay. then I'll say yes. <laughs> okay. Can I, let me give you the other who says no, which real quick before you continue your plan, because when we did this one, holy mackerel, we had so many Met fans say you're on crack. Never, ever, 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 ever. And it's because people love prospects. Now, your job as president of baseball operations is to evaluate your own guys, a right. big part of this, right? So uh, I believe the trade was it was sending – now, this is going to be painful because a lot of, like, hopes and dreams are put in these guys. But Brett Beatty, I love Brett Beatty, good player. Uh, Vientos, okay. And Parada, their number one pick, but blocked at catcher. For a guy named Luis Robert, who's locked up through 2027 – Yep, and Tim yep. Anderson reclamation project. And people in Mets, because they love the idea of what Beatty might be, a Parada might be, then I don't think, and then I don't think they understand how good Luke Robert is he yeah, He's tremendous. Yeah. He's tremendous. So I, what, what's your take on that one? I, I saw it and I thought it was a fair trade and it was interesting. Uh, I think if I'm trading Beatty or even Alvarez, as much as I may not want to, I think I would be doing it almost in an exchange for young pitching prospects of equal, I guess, hype. Because I think position player-wise, the Mets have a chance to be set for a very long time. Like, I don't necessarily think they're going to have to make that many household changes to the position player roster that they have. I mean, they got a lot of guys signed long-term. Lindor, I'm not trading. I don't think that's realistic. Nimmo, Alonzo, McNeil coming off what appears to be a terrible season. I'm not trading. Plus, you mentioned Beatty's getting a chance to play every day. Alvarez, Parada, we'll see. Like, I know that 
it seems like he's blocked, but position changes happen or having two guys that can catch, you know, and split time at DH is not a bad scenario. So I'm not, I don't feel like I'm obligated to trade them. But when I think about trading the Met Young prospects, it probably comes more in return to replenish my young pitchers because we don't have that many. So it's not by any stretch a bad trade. Um, where am I playing Tim Anderson? I guess I have to figure that out. Am I moving him to second base? Am I moving him to third base? What's my future for Jeff McNeil? Obviously, Beatty's gone, so I don't have to worry about that. Though I don't know if Beatty ends up as the third baseman long term. I think there's a really good chance he ends up in the corner outfield spot, especially with Ronnie Mauricio on the way up at some point. And I'm not sure how good of an outfielder he is with the time he's had playing there at AAA. So it's not a bad trade, but I think if I'm trading my prospects, it's more along the lines. I know this one didn't work out, but I'm going to bring up an example from like 15 years ago. All right. I love it. The Yankees traded Jesus Montero to the Seattle Mariners for Michael Pineda. And yes. at the time, Yankee oh. fans were freaking out. Like, oh yeah, Montero. Uh, Montero was like the, the be all end all, right? He was. And yeah. it didn't work. Like, but Montero never really became anything. Pineda was pretty good when he was healthy. Yeah. But. Along those kinds of lines would be where I'd be open to trading a Beatty or an Alvarez reshuffling position players. I think I'd probably just risk them developing and becoming stars for me. I love that take. And that was the first one I ever actually went up to a GM and said, here's the trade. What do you think off the record? And his answer was neither team would do it. (laughs) <laughs> so you can look at that as a good thing or a bad yes. thing. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I say he's fair, but neither team would do it. So you're right. of the, the same ilk of, of the higher ups in baseball. All right, let's keep going. This is what do you, I mean, I think that you're onto something. So, so far what we've got sign Pete Alonzo before the, the mics are turned off at the press conference. Um, then you have, uh, then you had be open to the Scherzer Verlander deals, but not give them away because I think you make a good point. Listen, I mean, they're not like terrible. So, and so they couldn't serve and you need to be a good team. You need sometimes veteran starters to be good. And that's what you hope to be next year. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, and so what else, what else going forward? So again, this is, this is we haven't even gotten we haven't even gotten to the guys under you who are watching this press conference. I don't know if they're even invited to the press conference and Billy Epler and Buck Showalter, but they're watching somehow, whether it's on TV or in the third row of the press conference. What are you doing with them? Well, Billy, you know, Billy can get a corner office and, you know, he could go surf the Internet and play solitaire and figure out what's going on with Twitter. And he could give me some advice on what Shohei Otani likes to do in his spare time. But outside of that, I'm putting him in a box. He's irrelevant. I'm not sure about Buck. I'm really not. I I think I want to spend the rest of the season just kind of chilling and evaluating and also talking to him, because what I need to know from Buck Showalter is why he hates Mark Vientos. Like, what's the deal? Because he was called up with what I thought was an obvious path to playing, getting a chance to be a DH against righties or lefties. I don't think he needed to be placed in this mold of only facing left-handed pitching. He's been hitting righties in the minor leagues. And Buck Showalter managed as if he hated him. He managed as if he didn't want him to succeed. And I need to find out why. Because I need to evaluate my young players at the major league level. He's done everything he's been asked to do at AAA. He's torn it up. He comes up to the majors, and after hitting a big game tying home run, he sits for two days. After getting a couple of hits, he sits for two days. Now, he didn't perform overall, but a part of why I don't think he performed is he never got a chance to play every day. So I speculate on the air, and we talk about it with callers, but I'm calling him into my office, and I'm saying, tell me the deal. Off the record, on the record, you tell me 
Why do you hate Mark Viento? So I'm going to evaluate Buck the rest of the year because I think one thing he's going to have to do is have to play the young guys. I'm going to force him to play Mark Vientos. I'm going to force him to play Ronnie Mauricio once he's recalled because when you're out of a pennant race, there's no point of playing Daniel Vogelback and Tommy Pham and Mark Canna. No offense to them. Now, I'm probably going to try to trade most of those guys, as we mentioned, but I want to evaluate the young players that I have. And one thing about Scherzer and Verlander that's very important, and this is a conversation I have to have with Steve, how much money are you giving me? Are you allowing me to spend big time in the offseason? And the reason I say that is Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, yes, they make $45 million a year, and it's very tough to look past that. But if I'm allowed to spend whatever I want, why can't they be my third and fourth starter? You know what I mean? Like, right. why? If yeah. I'm able to go sign, you know, Julio Urias has had an injury-prone season, so maybe I'm a little scared off, but if I'm able to sign him, if I'm able to sign Aaron Nola, if I'm able to sign Shohei Otani, yeah, my rotation is going to cost me like a billion dollars, but I don't have to view Verlander and Scherzer as my co-aces. And they're not bad for guys who make starts every five days. Right. So right. I got to know from my owner, what's my budget for next year? Because clearly my priority next year is to take Shohei Otani out to dinner and hand him a check, and it's going to be blank. And I'm going to say, whatever you want to do with this to make New York your home, fill it out. Because all the risk is worth the reward. And I get the risk. We all know the risk. He gets hurt. He can't do both things over and over again. He's going to get older. That's fine. Business and life is about risk. Shohei Otani is the most worth the risk athlete I think I've ever seen. So blank check, big night in New York City watching Broadway shows and eating dinner and giving him the keys to New York City. You answered one of the questions I had, which was the Shohei Itani question. So your instincts are keen, Evan. So first of all, your your game has never been a more on point. When it comes to Otani, like you say blank check. Where So when you give him the blank check, what do you think the number is that he writes on the blank check? What Realistically, and obviously he's like, you know, uh, he, he's blank check is a blank check. But realistically... You say, all right, Steve, this is the blank check. And when he fills this out, this is the level we're going to go to. Uh, obviously, the number with, begins with a six has been thrown around a lot. Now, yeah. it's I think it's creeping to seven. What do you think? If I have to give him a 10-year contract, which I'm sure he'll want, and, and I can understand that. Look around baseball. Look at the guys that have gotten 10, 11, 12-year deals. I think he's worth double the elite players because he does both. So if it's $70 million a year, I can't I can't scoff at it. And look, I, I think what makes this so difficult is that if my owner is telling me there is no budget, then this is the guy that's worth breaking the bank for more than anybody else. From a business standpoint, yeah. you're going to sell that building out. I mean, he is a rock star now playing for the Angels. He's the biggest rock star New York's ever seen if the Mets sign him. Or the Yankees. I think it's different with the Yankees because their brand is so big that they get 40000 every single night for the most part anyway. But for the Mets, look, I'm in that building a lot. There's a lot of nights where there's 22,000 people there, where there's 27,000 people there. That changes when you sign Otani. So from a, a business standpoint, the money that you're going to earn, I don't, even, I don't even know how to calculate it, but it's a big number. And that doesn't even get into the baseball side of things, which is that you're getting an elite level starting pitcher and you're getting an elite slugger. And so $70 million a year may sound nuts, but I don't think it is 
because the great bat's going to make 35 million. The great pitcher is going to make 40 million. So why would 70 feels like a steal? Does it not? <laughs> it's a great way to look at it. It's absolutely a great way. And the business side of it nails. Absolutely. No question about it. People don't understand this. Is that go look at Anaheim. Go look at that place. You, you Mike Trout isn't filling those seats. Mike Trout isn't getting eyeballs. Otani he, is. And Mike he, Trout's making $400 million a year. I mean, $400 million total. I've always thought the one sport where the high-end athlete is worth every dime is the NBA. Because when the Cleveland Cavaliers lost LeBron James the first time, that arena and that downtown area became a ghost town because nobody wanted to go to games. One player can make that kind of difference. I've seen that before. And that's the one sport where it truly does. I mean, you bring the best of the best NBA player to your city, it changes everything. That's never been the case in baseball. Like, I love watching the great player. I'm a, I'm a pitcher guy. I love watching the great starting pitcher. But it doesn't, do, it doesn't have that same effect. Shohei Otani is the, he's the exception. Yeah. I think he would change anything anywhere that he went. Now, obviously, we're going to rule out 90% of baseball teams because they can't afford to pay him that kind of money. But I think he's that one difference maker. So as much as we all get nuts about free agents and say, oh, we need this guy, we need that guy, he's the ultimate. I think he's the most in- most intriguing free agent sports has ever seen, let alone baseball. That's a good point. And they don't, like, you're right. They don't run isolations for outfielders. I've already said that. But they do run isolations for Shohei Itani. Yeah. Um, so so here's here's the thing. You get up to the press conference. You mentioned the Yankees. This is the the struggle, the tug of war of, of attention. And you get up there. And last year, last offseason, the Mets, yay, Mets, they're spending money. Look at us. So now you get up there in a lot of places. I, I've seen this with the Red Sox where, you know, you had Dombrowski and the way he did things. No, no, no. Now just be patient. We're going to do the Rays way of doing things because look how much the Rays have won. Your your model, it's still going sort of the, down the same road with the integration of the younger pitchers, but still down the same road. You get up there. What is the message that you're giving people? Because you can't really say, hey, everyone, patience, patience. That doesn't fly. Yeah, I I actually love the message Steve Cohen has sent. I'm not sure it's gotten through to a lot of people, but he's basically saying we're going to build a farm system. And we're not trading our young players away. And hey, be patient as we build the farm system. But oh, by the way, in the meantime, we're going to spend a crap ton of money. <laughs> and we're going to try to win as this process occurs. And I think that a year ago, it was tough to really understand how the Mets, having such a great regular season, could be so docile at the trade deadline. But thinking back on it, it made a lot of sense. As much as I wanted to win a year ago, Steve Cohen stayed firm on trading top prospects. I made a big mistake a year earlier by trading Pete Crow Armstrong for Javi Baez. Mm. I'm not going to do it again. And so I think as long as the Mets are remaining patient with young players and not trading prospects away and trying to develop a system in a smart way, he's going to spend to try to win while that's happening. And to me, that's a dream scenario as a fan because that's what I want. Like, I, Of course, I want the farm system to be great. There's something about the homegrown player that even here in New York, we really appreciate. Yeah. We treat that guy different than the bought free agent. But I also want him to buy free agents because I want to win because we're not patient. So I think his message is right, and I would reinforce it. We're doing both at the same time. Perfect, perfect. All right, before we get to the question, why isn't baseball isn't boring? Why baseball isn't boring, which is a tough one for Mets fans these days. I understand that. Um, 
I want to ask you a the most important question a president of baseball of operations can answer, which is beer sales. Very controversial beer sales uh, question. Matt Strom came on our podcast and had a big problem with the beer sales going from the seventh inning to the eighth inning to the ninth inning. Um, and I know this. I, this was just off the top of my head because I just heard we had Fourth of July coming up. We have beer sales coming up. There's a lot of different hats you have to wear, Evan. So beer sales, where do they land? Sixth inning, seventh inning, eighth inning. Now, back in the day before the pitch clock, well, it was the seventh inning or was it the sixth it, inning? No, it was, it was the seventh inning. And Strom's point was that if you're going to pretend like you want to sober up and you're moving to the eighth inning, there's like 20 minutes between the eighth inning and the end <laughs> of the game. That's a good so, point. And, and so, uh, and, and Evan, like I had never, we put this up. I had, I, in all my years of reporting everything else, I had never seen the reaction. TMZ, ABC News, yeah, whatever yeah. it is. Because beer is important in baseball. Beer is important in society. So anyway, very. this is a test. This is like sort of like the thing that you didn't think I was going to ask you, but here yeah. you go. So my reaction to all this is I love the pitch clock. I think most of us do. I think it's yeah. brought baseball back to where it should be. I don't think it's anything crazy. It's trying to bring it back. And so I would try to treat everything around it, such as when am I cutting off beer sales, exactly the same. And say, we're not changing anything. The game is moving at a better pace. Sure. The game may go quicker. There's no guarantee. I've been to plenty of three hour games this year. Like there's no guarantee. This isn't, there's no clock. There's a clock in baseball, but there's no clock in baseball. If you know what I mean? There's a clock for pitches, but there's no clock the way there is in the NBA or the NFL. So my reaction is I ain't changing a damn thing. You know what inning you're supposed to get your beer. You know, when the concessions stop, and that ain't changing. And if the game happens to be moving quicker, then get your tuchus off the ground and go buy your concession. So I'd be firm on I ain't changing anything. There you go. I like that. You have to be responsible as the president of baseball operations. Fans have to be responsible for whatever lot in their life in terms of consuming beer and baseball games. All right, here we go. Why isn't baseball boring? This is a very easy answer. And I've had the same answer since I was four years old when my dad taught me. When you go to a bit, and I love all sports, understand this. I go to tons of Brooklyn Net games. I go to football games. Like, I love everything. But baseball, more than any other sport, has a when you go to the ballpark, you never know what kind of history you're going to see. I think Domingo Herman proved that the other night with the Yankees A's perfect game. And every game I go to, and I take my son to games, I always say to him, and my dad said it to me, something may happen today that you're never going to forget. Something may happen today that 40 years from now, you'll never forget. I'm going to give you a specific example in a garbage Met season. I'm not going to give you Johan's no hitter or anything <laughs> obvious. I went to a Sunday afternoon Met Philly game, and I forget the exact year, but they were bad. And the Mets were rallying in the bottom of the ninth inning. They had first and second, nobody out. The season is over. They're done. But hey, you're rooting for your team. And Jeff Francoeur hit a screaming line drive to Eric Bruntlett who turned a game-ending, unassisted triple play. And as I walked out of the building that night, or that afternoon, I said, there's nothing I'm going to remember from this season 20 years from now. But I'll never forget this moment. And that's the beauty of baseball. I don't necessarily feel, and I've been to hundreds of basketball games, that, yeah, you may get a buzzer beater. Yeah, you may get something crazy, but not to the level of baseball. And so, yeah, there are certain games that may drag and there are certain seasons that may drag. And there are games in which your team is losing 12 to one and I refuse to leave early. It's a lesson my dad taught me as a young kid. But 
you never know when an unassisted triple play is going to end the game and make you say, oh, my God, I've never seen that before, and I will never see that again. That is such a good answer. That is a top five answer, and we've had hundreds of them. Commissioner, GMs, players. <laughs> actors actresses everybody that's a top five answer excellent job thank you all right man well hey listen the work has just begun dig in here you go can't wait thank you